0: It is chapter two. So I hope that Michigan will beat Ohio State on Saturday when they play them. I haven't lost a game yet this this year. So you know I, I hope it doesn't rain too much for the picnic that we have planned for tomorrow. I hope my car can make it to the gas station. I could walk. I'm mean, you know. I don't want to, but I could. Let me ask you this. What what are some things that we hope for, right? We have a lot of hope for things to come. And we're looking at Advent and we see there the, the main title will be Seeing Christ in Advent. And specifically tonight, Christ our Hope. And when we think about hope, that's a lot of times what what does come to mind is those types of hopes. I hope that this event will or will not happen based upon whatever it is, you know. But really, we don't have any kind of control over those types of things, do we? I don't really have any control over whether or not it'll be the third year in a row that Michigan will beat Ohio State. You know, I don't have any control over that. And there's sports teams you don't have any control over, and you hope they beat whatever sports team is their biggest rival. We often have that idea of hope, though, don't we? It's based on things that we can't control. It's based on uh, the outcome of things that we cannot do anything about. But that hope doesn't really have a a, a firm foundation. It doesn't have anything to ground itself in. It doesn't have any real standing because it's just a hope that is, uh, it could could change in a moment. But that's not the way hope is in, in the Bible. It's not the way it is in God's Word. Hope is not the same there. Biblical hope is founded on God. It's on Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. And there's a lot of different things of what actual biblical hope is. When the Old Testament speaks of hope, it's often talking about trust or waiting in eager anticipation, looking for, desiring something to come to pass or someone to arrive, especially in the Old Testament, obviously, they're waiting on the Messiah. It was expecting something beneficial to happen in the future. In the New Testament, there's a lot of those same ideas repeated as we're hoping and waiting for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come. But he has come the first time already. And so in a lot of ways, that hope has been realized. And so now we have a confident assurance uh, that is based on what God says will come to pass because it's already happened once before. Christ came the first time, and that gives us a confident assurance and hope that he will come again in the second advent. And all of our hope is based, and all of our hope is founded on Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has accomplished what it is that he said he would do. 1 Timothy 1.1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So this verse kind of serves as a jumping off point. The first theme is hope there. And Paul tells in the first letter that Christ is our hope. So this season, I think it'd be good for us to begin by reminding us how Christ is our hope, not only for the future, but also for for right now, as we look into this first theme of Advent. So we'll begin tonight, Titus chapter 2, starting with verse number 14, and you'll want to kind of keep a bookmark or something here in this particular, because we'll be back in Titus chapter 2 in just a moment. But we'll start here with verse number 14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so the beginning thing, the very first thing that we see here about hope or about Jesus Christ and how Christ is our hope for salvation is that he gave himself for us. That's the first point. Christ is our hope for salvation. He's the only hope for salvation. He's our hope for salvation. And he gave himself for us. We see there in verse 14. And those, those words there, those four words, have very significant meaning. The first one is gave. Very important meaning. He came freely. He came voluntarily to the earth. 100% God, 100% man. And he was able, because of that, to provide salvation. And the next word there is himself. He gave all of himself. He gave his complete self, his body, his blood, and held nothing back. He gave himself. And then those last two words, for us. He's the substitute for our sins. He died on the cross for us so that we might have a forgiveness and redemption that we didn't deserve, we didn't earn, but he gave it to us who trust in him, who believe in him by faith. And that's what it begins with there. He gave himself for us. And next thing, to redeem us. So to redeem us from all iniquity, to redeem us from sin. And there's some ideas about the word redeem that we need to look at as well. Redemption has three ideas. The first one is paying the ransom. It's paying the price. Jesus Christ's blood was the ransom. It was what was required in order to make the payment. The next idea is the removal of sin. By taking on our sin and placing it on ourselves. he washed our sins away, completely taking away those sins, removing our sin from us. But there's also the idea of release of bondage of sin. We, don't longer, we, don't, we no longer need to live in sin anymore. We don't have to obey the sinful desires that come up in our life. We can live a life that is holy and separate to God. We don't have to obey it anymore. And each of those things is connected to the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for us on the cross. That's what the redemption is, that's what the payment of the price is. And that comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the blood sacrifice of animals was the way to be forgiven of sins, or that was the way to be ceremonial clean anyway. It could not fully and completely cleanse. It could not fully and completely save, but it did make the person ceremonial clean before God. And so they brought their animal sacrifices every year and every day, and they brought these uh, to be atoned for their sins. But that animal literally took the place of that person. That animal was killed for them. that animal was slain in place of the person because the penalty is death for sin. But all of those sacrifices pointed ahead to a better Sacrifice a better hope. And that's what the first advent is all about. Christ has already come the first time, and he has uh, died on the cross for our sins, shed shed his blood for us. And so the hope in Christ alone is the one who could offer his his blood to pay the ransom for us. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus is with his disciples on the night before his crucifixion, and he says this, very familiar. We sometimes use it at communion service. Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed... For many, for the remission of sins. And on that night, Jesus connected uh, his shed blood to the Old Testament sacrificial system. They were having the Passover at that night, that meal, which pointed ahead to Christ as well. And he connected it to that so that all would know that his blood would be the last sacrifice ever needed, the last time, and the only one that could cleanse completely from all sins. And so Christ removes our, sin for us for that reason. Christ removes sin uh, by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So there is that very specific way in which Christ had to die. You know, there are a lot of times in the New Testament we read where the people got mad at Christ and they tried to stone him or throw him off a cliff or whatever. And even though Christ came to die, he had to die in a specific way, and that was crucifixion. He had to die hanging on a tree. So Christ has redeemed us from that. The crucifixion brought him under the curse of the law, and it took away that curse from us who deserved it. So not only are we freed from the curse of redemption, we're also to be used by God for his glory. Going back to our main verse there at number 14, that he's redeemed us from all iniquity, and he's purifying unto himself a peculiar people. Back in Titus 2.14. And I know that that word peculiar means a little bit different today. You know, some of us maybe are peculiar people. Sometimes we say things in front of a large crowd that make us seem silly, like I did earlier tonight. So we look a little peculiar. But really what that word means in Greek is set apart for a special use. And it actually has a specific connection to a conquering king that would say, okay, this stuff that we took from the enemy, this is my stuff that I am going to use for my own purpose. And so when Christ redeemed us, he said, all that come to me that are, that are saved, that, that follow and trust in salvation, those are mine, and I'm going to use them and set them aside for a special purpose, to be used for his glory, to be reserved for what, what is set aside for him to be used. So don't be afraid to be a peculiar person. But all these things together mean that our hope is secured in the redemption uh, of Christ paid for us. Our hope is now no longer set on things which cannot save. I love this verse. Go over to First Peter with me real quick. First Peter chapter number 1. Because our salvation is secured in things that are eternal. Our salvation is not secured in the kind of hope that we talked about at the beginning. where Well, I hope that such and such will happen or this thing won't happen. But 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse number 18, says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We are redeemed by something more precious than anything else on this earth. And that redemption is founded and grounded in Uh, Christ and in God's word and in what he said he would do. And the eternal hope that we have for our salvation is not grounded in anything that we do or don't do. There's a secure foundation, a secure salvation, which cannot be changed and cannot be altered. When you accept Christ as Savior, you're saved. So we have a sure hope for salvation that does not change. Anything else that's promised cannot save. Christ is our hope, first of all, for salvation. But number two, Christ is also our hope for glory. Go to Colossians chapter 1 tonight, Colossians chapter 1. We've got some scriptures will be going around too, and some I'll read. Not necessarily a lot of Christmas scriptures, as we would call them Christmas scriptures, but Christ is our hope nonetheless, and it's all throughout the Bible. Colossians chapter number 1 tonight. Because Christ is also our hope for glory. Begin reading in verse number 26, Colossians chapter number 1. It says this, "...even the mystery which hath been hid from ages, from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." "...whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily." So Christ is our hope for glory, as you see there in verse number 27. Christ in you, the hope for glory. After salvation, Christ now dwells in the life of the believer. And this is the mystery that was revealed in the New Testament, but was unknown in times past, as we see there in the verses we just read. The Old Testament prophets, this was not revealed, that Christ would be in us. And not only that, but that it would be uh, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles together in one body called the church. When it says mystery here, it's not talking about something that has to be solved. You know, you watch mystery TV shows or mystery movies and the whole time they're throwing clues at you and you're trying to figure out who did it, right? That's not the kind of mystery that this is talking about here. This is a mystery that's something that was hidden for a certain amount of time and is now revealed in the New Testament times. Because it really wasn't a mystery that the Gentiles would be blessed. We could go all through the Old Testament scriptures and we could see how the promised Messiah would, through Abraham, that in all uh, uh, the world would be blessed. And so Gentiles were going to be blessed. What the mystery was is that Christ would be in us and that the body of Christ would be Jew and Gentile together. The only division that God ever made, he reconciled in Christ and brought them together into one, Christ in us. Now, what does this mean? It means that because Christ is in us, we can now live a life that God wants us to live, a sanctified life, a life that shows other people that there has been a change, that you are truly redeemed. And Paul touched on that in Galatians 2.20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ indwells the believer and gives us the power to live a life that is sanctified, that is set apart, that is for his use and is for his glory, and that it should be those around us should see Christ when they see us. Look back over, you're there, but Colossians 1.22, same chapter, and it says uh, there, In the body of his flesh, that is Jesus Christ, through death, present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The whole purpose and the whole intent is to present us to Christ. And so we are, uh, in relation to our position in Christ, we are spiritually perfect already. The hope of glory is in us already. We're joint heirs with Christ. There is cause for hope right now in our lives. But God wants us to continue in that sanctification process as we get into his word, as we read, as we study together, as we come in and fellowship with other believers. We continue the sanctification process. We have the gift, which is eternal life, but we should be bearing the fruit as the work of holiness in our lives. Our lives now lived in faith. Christ uh, is what people see, or what they, people should see. And I like the example that was given by uh, Chuck Swindoll in his uh, commentary on, on uh, these few verses here. But uh, around here, I think, and especially in other parts of the southeast and so forth, we have live oak trees, or rather, some live oak trees in different places. And they're a type of evergreen tree. You know, they're not, they, don't, they don't have needles. They have leaves. They're an evergreen tree. And what happens is as the uh, old leaves fall off, new leaves come in their place. They continue to grow. They continue to live. They don't go dormant in winter like other uh, hardwood trees do, you know. They don't lose all of their leaves. Uh, and so uh, as the live oak trees, they're an example for us. That's how our life is. Our spiritual growth is that the old is going off. And the new is coming in and growing behind us. That glorification is happening right now. Just as a live oak tree's old leaves fall off, new ones replace them. The same is true for us. The old falls away, the new grows in its place. So we who are saved are already glorified by Christ's work in our life. So our hope for glory rests on Christ for his, and his atonement for our sins. He brings us hope now in our lives. And because of that, we can do what The hope is, which is endure patiently and and, and wait for Christ's coming and grow in our faith because we already possess it. We can impatiently wait for the future realization of that glorification we already possess. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. we have there verse number one, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then jump down to verse number five, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So we are justified by faith. That justification brings us peace with God which gives us access to the grace. And then we stand in that. We are able to stand for God, and we're able to go along our way in hope, a confident hope right now that God is working in us. And the hope that verse number 5 talks about right there is the kind of hope that doesn't disappoint. That's what it, that's what it is right there. Hope maketh not ashamed. It means that kind of hope doesn't disappoint you. It doesn't deceive you. Well, that's what happens a lot of times with the hope that we mentioned at the very beginning, Right? I could put my hope on Michigan winning, but you know what could happen is Ohio State could be like, hey, listen, two years is enough, guys. They may lose. I might plan an outing, and it might rain on my outing. I might not make it to the gas station, right? I might have to walk. But the kind of hope that God gives us in Jesus Christ does not disappoint us. It does not deceive us. It is grounded in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have a sure hope. We're not left wondering. I love what John Piper said. He said, we we have a sure hope that's not left wondering if it will all turn out well. Because we have a confident assurance, a hope, that the glory of God is our eternal portion. The hope. Christ, our hope for glory. And then finally this evening, Christ, our hope for the future. Go back to our main verses we were talking about. Titus chapter 2. Back to our main verses there, Titus chapter two. Try to pull everything together here in our last section, Titus chapter two. We'll start reading in verse eleven. This time it says, "For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope." and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the last portion there, the last, is Christ our hope for the future. Christ our hope for the future. And we can connect it all not only to the first Advent, but also the second Advent. What's what we're waiting on right now. The season of Advent is a good time for us to remember those that waited on Christ's first coming. And we read about them, and we can, and we can see that in other parts during the season. As we read in the Old Testament Scriptures, and we can read the fulfillment of that, Luke chapter 2. So we can connect ourselves back to those. We can connect ourselves to those afterwards as well. Remembering that Christianity is not some new thing that just came around the corner just yesterday. There's 2,000 years of Christians who have been waiting for the same thing we are, and that is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Waiting long in hope and patience, knowing that God will come. We connect it to the first advent as well as the second advent. And we see here in these verses uh, the points we've already talked about as well. First of all, the salvation. Verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Again, that's the first advent. We celebrate that in a few weeks. That's what Christmas is, or celebration that Christ came. But notice that the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared. It already has appeared. And I love the idea of that because, first of all, uh, it, if there's a person today that is still rejecting Christ, it's, it's, a, it's a choice, it's a decision that they're making because it has appeared. I thought about it this afternoon. It's a little bit like, remember July? It wasn't that long ago, right? <laughs> and many of you have lived here in Bladen County a lot longer than I have. Some of you your whole lives, I'm sure. And, and, and you know what it's like in July here. It's hot. It's hot. So imagine being outside and talking to someone and saying, man, the sun's hot today. And they're like, I don't believe in the sun. I don't think there is such a thing as the sun. Well, it's right there in front of your face, up there in the sky. It's the idea there. It's, that's, it has appeared. It has dawned. In fact, that's the word that's here in Greek. Has appeared is, is the word that we get epiphany. You ever heard the word epiphany before? There are other denominations that celebrate that as a season as well, the epiphany of Christ. But that's what it means. It's like the dawn. It's like the rising of the sun. You can't ignore it. It's appeared. The salvation has appeared to all men. That doesn't mean that everyone is saved. It just means that now if a person is not saved, they're denying the reality that's right in front of them. It's dawned upon us all. Verse number 12 tells us what we just talked about. What do we do now? We deny ungodliness. We deny worldly lust. We live soberly. We live righteously. We live godly in this present world in verse number 12. And then finally, in verse number 13, we look for the blessed hope, the blessed hope, the future, the appearing of Christ in glory. The second coming will be as sure as the first coming. In fact, we ought to have more hope in the second advent than the first because Christ has already fulfilled everything in the first advent. Jesus Christ has fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy. That was ever spoken of him. He is the one. And we have more hope of the second. We have a confident assurance, a hope that because he came the first time, he will come again as he said. He said he would come the first time. He did. He's coming a second time. And our hope is not in heaven necessarily or in glory, but it's in Jesus himself, who is the one who will appear. The appearing of of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what it's talking about, is that that time when every eye will see him. We'll read that in just a minute. But Haggai 2, 6 and 7 says that to us as well. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once, it's a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. And though there is a connection to Christ's first advent in these verses from Haggai chapter 2, there's a whole lot more connection to Christ's second advent that we are still waiting on. The whole earth will shake. These are things that we'll learn about. I won't steal anything from Pastor Jason, but these are things we're going to be seeing, though the Lord willing, as we get into the uh, uh, book of Revelation more on Sunday mornings. All of the things will shake, and the the desire of nations, that Jesus Christ himself will come. That's the second coming of Christ. Revelation 1.7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him. They also, which, who, which pierced him, and the kindreds of all earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now, I want to stop and just for a minute say this. The rapture will come first and, and will happen suddenly. And will those that are uh, saved will experience that. We read that in 1 Thessalonians four seventeen It says, Then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And First Thessalonians is talking about a whole different time period. It's talking about the rapture. It's talking about a meeting in the air. But Haggai chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 1, those are talking about the second coming when every eye will see him and all will know who Christ is. Hope in the Bible is always connected with that confident assurance and expectation that we can have. And the Bible says that it's going to happen. Then we have that blessed future hope knowing that Christ came the first time. It's sort of like this. Again, this is another Chuck Swindoll illustration here. But it's like buying a ticket. You buy a ticket for an airplane. You buy a ticket for a train. You buy a ticket to go watch a game somewhere. You have a seat. there. A lot, you know, especially on ticket to go to like a theater or a a ball game or something, there's a seat number on that. I paid for this seat. And you wait eagerly for the day that that you can go and either get on that airplane or that train or go to that ball field or whatever it is and you can give them the ticket and you have a confident assurance that you've got a seat there waiting for you. It's the same thing when we talk about the the future and the blessed hope of Christ. You know that when the time is right, he's going to come and you'll be with God forevermore. We have a confident assurance of that. And notice also in verse 13, it's looking for. It's an active thing. We're to be looking for the blessed hope. Understanding that it is coming. The day is coming when we will see Christ. And so we're actively looking for the day of Christ's coming. We're assured of, of a resurrection, a glorified body, bodies that don't grow old or get sick. Philippians 3.21, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So this hope that we have is a confident assurance, a patient enduring, knowing that Christ will fulfill all things. It's not cross your fingers and hope and maybe there'll be a good outcome in this situation. But instead it's founded on God's word. It's past fulfillment of promises. So this season, let's not let the world drag us down From the confident assurance and hope that we have in Christ, our hope is an earnest expectation, trust based on past fulfilled promises of an almighty God. He came the first time to redeem us, but he'll come again to take us home. He came the first time in humility, but he will come again in power. And so our hope today is grounded on that faith. We're experiencing hope as Christ uh, makes us like him daily. We have that confidence now, that hope now. We live in hope because Christ is in us. And so we can say, as we sang tonight, as we opened up in song, my hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. Let's pray together.